Welcome to Conversations for Life, a marriage and family podcast from Cross Life with hosts Jonathan and Kathleen. Each episode, we sit down and talk about the things that matter most to those that matter most to you. We're so glad you're with us today. Please pull up a chair and join in the conversation. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Conversations for Life. Uh, Before we dive into today's conversation, I want to do a quick announcement about a giveaway that we're doing. We have recently updated our podcast page, and now every episode of Conversations for Life will have its own page. And uh, we invite you to go and check it out for yourself at www.crosslifetoday.org. And uh, also, all, all the pages will have transcripts available, they'll have related materials and links to information that we talk about in the conversation. Uh, we've had some of the pages are fully done, some are still needing a little bit more, but by the end of June, the update will be complete, and so to celebrate that, we, uh, this month, we're doing a giveaway of Andrew Case's book, Christina of Aspen Isle. We had a conversation with Andrew a little while back related to his uh, guided prayer books, but he's also written a fantastic novel called Christina of Aspen Isle that I know, Kathleen, you love. Yes, I do. It's a it's a wonderful book, one of my favorites, and um, it's it, it's perfect because as we're talking about God as Father today, um, the next couple of episodes, and as Father's Day is coming up soon, this book is also about a father's love and the wilds of Alaska and mm. some other adventures, um, and it's just lovely. So we yeah we are giving away five copies of the Audible audiobook version of this. And that's really exciting. We're really thankful that uh, Andrew is willing to give us that. So if you share any of our podcast pages via Facebook or email um, and you tag us or, or let us know that you did that, then you'll be entered in the giveaway. And you can do it as many times as you want. And it'll last for the, it's through the end of June. And we'll announce the winners. And so, yeah, just sharing any of our podcast pages um, or our newsletter with anybody else that gets you an entry as many times as you want. Well, and you know, Kathleen, today I think we're going to continue in the string of really interesting conversations we've been having. Um, Two weeks ago, we looked at, in particular, how the Old Testament stories and the narratives uh, that have women being treated poorly or unfairly or even, you know, unjustly, uh, how do we read those stories? Should we see that should we think of them as God being okay with misogyny? Is God okay with oppressing women, with with uh, you know encouraging a, an attitude of disdain or disrespect for women? And we argue that no, that Genesis one and two show us very clearly that God created women in His image of equal value and worth in His eyes to men. But what we talked about was that in light of the fall. All human beings are wicked through and through. And so all these stories that, that show women being treated poorly, God wants us to see the sin that's happening in these stories, the consequences of the fall, and the negative results that, that happen as a result. He doesn't want us to see that he's the thing that he's approving these things. He's wanting us to see this is what sin does. This is how sin ruins people. And the heroes of the story uh, are not Abraham and Sarah or Jacob. The hero, the one hero, is God, that he over and over shows kindness and mercy to people who make very sinful choices at times. And how that's encouraging for us because we are just like Abraham and Isaac and Sarah and all the rest. 
and we can see God's mercy in our own lives. And as we read those stories, we we see warnings uh, of the consequences for sinful choices and actions. And then last week we looked at the Old Testament law, and we were asking the question, you know, um, how does with regard to certain laws that deal with women? Again, is this way is this God's way of, of you know encouraging a misogynistic view of women of of oppressing women? And, and we talked about purity laws and uncleanness laws and some of the civic laws. The civic laws were designed to guide Israelites on how they treated one another and other people in the land. And with regard to those laws, we talked about the fact that they were designed specifically to uh, protect the vulnerable. To protect those who were at at, uh, at risk of taking being taken advantage of or or, or oppressed, and in, in the case of those were women, that those laws were sought were seeking to protect them, and that the goal is not to hold up the high ethical value or goal that that God has in mind. You know, love your neighbor as yourself, for example. That the goal was with those laws simply to create a baseline level of expectation. That especially in worst case scenarios where people could be victimized or oppressed, God wanted to protect them. And then with the ceremonial laws like purity laws and uncleanness laws, that what we want to do is is detach the idea of shame that a lot of modern readers have when they read about purity laws and uncleanness. They think of it in terms of shame, but but those those rituals were not designed to 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 communicate shame. Uh, to the Israelites, and instead, what they were designed to do was through the through the framework of rituals, which are very important to ancient people. Through the framework of rituals, they were to instruct Israelites in their faith and lead them uh, in a righteous path, and that was the purpose of those laws. Yeah, good stuff. That's an excellent summary. Thanks for recapping that. Um, and today, we're talking about another weighty topic, one that affects men as well as women. We're talking about knowing God as Father, and this will be the first in a two-part discussion. And we know that the Bible and Jesus himself calls God our Father. We're told to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed Mm. be your name. And Jesus calls God his Father and our Father. And uh, a little later, we're going to talk more about the warrant for this designation. But I want to say, first of all, that this is hard for some people. If you had an abusive father or an absent or distant father, it may be challenging to bridge the gap between who your father is or was and who God is. So we're going to be discussing the bigger picture of how the Bible presents God's self-revelation as father, as well as how to navigate this when it's personally challenging. And, you know, I, I, I think I think that this topic, it's, it's a great one because it not only deals with this particular issue about God as father, it really brings up a bigger issue, which is really uh, central to revelation. Which you know that whole idea that God reveals uh, to us, you know, in Scripture, who He is and what He's done, and so you know, because this is central to our faith, uh, I think this is going to be a great conversation to have. And um, you know, to use an illustration with regard to what we think about uh, revelation and truth, is that in our culture nowadays, I think a lot of folks view truth like water. That um, you know, good truth is supposed to fit everyone's needs, and kind of the way that water naturally takes the shape of whatever container you put it in. And so, this is why you have people will say, "Well, you know, I have my truth, and you have your truth." You know, this phrase. What does it mean? It's it's basically saying that that good truth, quote unquote, proper truth, is the kind of truth that can adapt to everyone's needs. 
And uh, we see this in Christianity as well when people say things like, for you know, for example, uh, that God is love. Is that true? Absolutely. But unfortunately, you know, the, the way that, that a lot of folks use that phrase now is, this, well, whatever way that I feel that God loves me, whatever way that I feel that God communicates his love to me, that's how I define God's love. Rather than saying, well, what does Scripture tell me from an objective sense or from, a, from the objective standpoint of God's word, what does that tell me about meaning God is love and how does it define those terms? Instead, we just you know look at it for what it means to me. And so this whole idea of truth has become, well, truth is all about what it means to me, how it fits my needs, rather than the, than the, than the converse of me fitting and being shaped by truth, which is the absolute standard. And, uh, and this is how Scripture, I believe, approaches, uh, uh, speaks to us, that it is the absolute truth of God and is revealed to us. And so as we encounter God in Scripture, you know, God is God and He gets to be God. So in whatever ways He's chosen to reveal Himself to us, regardless of what human beings want to do or what they think or they believe, regardless of those things, we are called to, to worship God as He's revealed Himself. And, you know, in the past, just like today, there were people who wanted to worship gods uh, in all kinds of ways and, you know, building statues and lions and all kinds of stuff. And what we see in scripture is God says, no, you're not going to worship me that way. You're going to worship me the way that I've revealed to you to do so. And today we don't make statues or you know, lion heads, that sort of thing in, here in America for the most part. But still, I think whenever we, we say to God, I'm going to worship you the way that I want to worship you or the way that I like, we're basically making an idol. Yeah, that, I love that. That's a really great thing. Uh, God gets to be God. God gets to be who he is no matter what we think. And that's good news because we human beings come up with some really awful ideas about who God should be, don't we? I mean, mm. you know, when we think about... When some aspect of God has been twisted or perverted and the teaching that we've heard, whether explicitly in some kind of church community or an implicit sort of teaching through relationships and assumptions, it causes a lot of pain and trauma. Mm. And we've been talking about the Bible's view of women for the past few weeks, and that's very appropriate because plenty of people have corrupted the truth about God and used it to subjugate women or African-Americans or a whole long list of people. Um, and mm. that's they were using Scripture falsely, and the outcome is disastrous. So there are real consequences to discarding the truth about God and trying to make Him in our own image. But there's a great reward if we press on to know God as He has revealed Himself. So the more we know God as He has revealed Himself to be, the more we see just how deeply sin has marred us in creation. And this, in turn, expands our conception of how good, holy, and righteous God is. Hmm. And I think the potency of this dynamic is increased when it's in an area where we have personally experienced great suffering. So, for example, the more we get to know God as our Heavenly Father, the more we're able to see just how much sin has marred fatherhood in human society. And then the more we hate sin and love God, especially when we ourselves have been very affected by the marring of fatherhood in our own lives. Yeah, that's a. I think that's a really good point, Kathleen. You know that, um, you know, as we encounter God in Scripture, we're going to change. But especially in areas, as you said, that where we've experienced the marring 
um, because of sin and, and where we've experienced uh, trauma and hurt and pain. And those areas that, that kind of come up as we, as we see God in Scripture and we see His truth, those are some of the areas where we're going to experience the most um, effect, I think, about what, what God, you know, how He can change us and speak to us. And, you know, it's not always an easy process. It, it can be, I think, I would say it can be, even be a really painful process for us. Uh, but if we go through that process, the beautiful part is God will refine us. And, and, and part of that process is that as we're refined, as we see God's character, as it is coming out to us in His Word, and as we wrestle with it in those, those aspects of who He is that, that challenge us, especially when we've experienced sin, um, you know, because of, of terrible marrings of those attributes in, in our heavenly or in our earthly parents or in other relationships, that's actually going to, it's going to be hard, but really healing for us, I think. You know, and if to, to put it another way with regard to the issue of fatherhood, I think nothing will make us see just how bad human fathers are than as we see the attributes of our heavenly father come alive in scripture. You know, just like nothing will make us see how bad human leaders are. Uh, and then as we see the attributes of our sovereign Lord come alive in Scripture. You know, how God defines fatherhood or leadership or anything, it is the absolute standard of what these things are to be and to look like. And to the degree that we, you know, that we experience the, the, the falling short of these absolutes in our world and in our life, it provokes in us, this is a great thing actually, it provokes in us a deeper hatred of sin. And ultimately, a deeper love for God. And so, as we explore God's character and His personhood that He's shown us in Scripture, you know, especially in areas where we've been the, that have been the most distorted in our lives, uh, it's immensely important for our own growth. Yeah. So, would you say then, Jonathan, that the ways in which the Bible speaks of God in masculine terms and of God as our Father? that these are not accidental, but that these descriptions are revealing something about God's character and about who He is? You know, Kathleen, I would say that it's really important to distinguish the kind of knowledge that we have about God from the kind of knowledge that God has about Himself. This is relevant to, to this discussion about God as Father because this is the kind of argument that you hear from people who want to call God mother or who insist on using feminine pronouns for God. They'll say, well, look, God is God. He cannot be ultimately genderized. And so whether human beings call him father or mother or papa bear, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter because ultimately God is just a spirit. He's no more a he than a she or an it. And so it's important to point out um, so that we don't fall prey to that kind of logic that, yes, all biblical language and, and really the whole enterprise of revelation itself, of scripture, of God revealing himself to us is carried out only by use of analogy. What I mean is that God reveals himself to us in ways that we, as finite, tiny little creatures, can actually comprehend. And, and he does so because it, using analogy. He reveals himself in ways that are analogous to human existence and experience. We, as human beings, we cannot know God in the ultimate sense. Because to do so, we'd have to be God ourselves. God is transcendent. He is far above human comprehension. So how could we possibly know God? Well, because He has chosen to reveal Himself in ways that we can comprehend. Exactly. And something really important is that when it comes to Revelation, though we recognize that our knowledge of God is not ultimate, 
and that God accommodates human limits of knowledge to make himself known to us, it's God who gets to set the analogies. Mm. So you said, you know, we, we don't have this ultimate, complete knowledge of God, but we do have knowledge of God that's sufficient because he's, he's told us who he is and he's, he's used this way of communicating himself that we can understand. But he's the one who defines that. He's the one who sets that. And so um, he sets the terms by which we know him and by which we worship him. We don't get to decide that, and it's it's really it's arrogance, and it's the heart of sin to say that we set the terms of how we approach God and and how we understand Him. Amen. You know, so when it comes to God revealing Himself in masculine ways, and to God directing us to call Him Father, you know, while we recognize that these are not absolute to God's nature as God. They are the ways that he's chosen to reveal himself to us. And those ways are intentional by God. You know, they mean something. Just because God uses human analogies to communicate his character and his will, it doesn't mean that those analogies are arbitrary. When God reveals himself to us as Father, we want to recognize that he is Father in a sense that's far and above Anyway, we might experience fatherhood in a human way. You know, but, but these attributes of God that are associated with earthly fatherhood, we need to recognize that they are real attributes of God. And so when we call him father, we're calling him according to who he is. And you know, if I can just take this one step further, and, and I think this is really important when it comes to the question about God and masculine terminology, and especially when we talk about God as Father, that in this particular instance especially, it's not as though God was looking around you know, for the best analogy that he could find on earth uh, to reveal himself. And he said, oh, well, I'll just use this. This is a convenient analogy, this whole fatherhood thing. I'll use that. It's actually the opposite, that when God created the first man, Adam, he put within him unique elements of his character that we define as masculinity. These are things that are distinct from womanhood that a man uniquely expresses about about who God is in ways that are different. And in the same way, what we call femininity is elements of God's character that, that, that women uniquely express in distinction from men. That's where masculinity and femininity come from. So when we talk about God using masculine language in Scripture, what we're saying is that there's, we're not saying that God borrowed this masculine ideal in, in our culture and then just used it for himself. Or even worse, what some people say is that, is that in Scripture we just find you know, these writers simply you know, transposing words and, and ideas uh, from God as if they're from God, but they're really just, just you know, male forms of patriarchy and sexism. That's, that's not what's going on. What's going on is that when God shaped men, he put within them certain aspects of his character that are unique to them, and that's what we call masculinity. So when God refers to himself in masculine terms, he's not being, you know, in an absolute sense, God, you know, God is transcendent. So we can't reduce God down to human masculinity. But what we can say is that human masculinity uniquely expresses attributes of God's character. So that when God reveals himself as father or uses masculine language, he's speaking truly of who he is. 
Uh, and so that's really important. We don't want to put the cart before the horse. Human masculinity didn't exist first. And then God just come along and accommodate himself to that. Rather, when, when God made Adam, he made him to possess these specific attributes of, of God's character that are analogous to who he is. And, and that's what we call masculinity. And the same thing holds for femininity, that there are unique ways that women express God's character. And this is what we call femininity. And so it's really important to, to, to emphasize this. This is the whole idea of revelation, right? This is God revealing himself to us. And, and creation itself reveals God's character. And so, you know, human masculinity and human fem- femininity uh, reveal aspects of God's character. And that's why I think in Genesis 1, you say, it says that God made them male and female in his image. He made them. That our, our maleness and our femaleness reflect aspects of God's character. And that was intentional by him. Yes, but because of the fall, this too is broken down. Uh, sin has infected every area of human life, and fatherhood is no different. So because of humankind's rebellion against God, there are many fathers who do not carry out this mission as father uh, given by God. Um, there are fathers who abuse their authority, whether with physical, mm. sexual, or verbal abuse, uh, by being domineering or tyrannical. There are fathers who abdicate their authority, and they're just passive and unengaged rather than leading in the way they should. There are fathers who walk out and don't come back. There are fathers Hmm. who are just disappointing because they're not really uh, emotionally there. And there are fathers even who, by no choice of their own, are not there due to disease or death. But in all of these cases, there are wounds um, that that run very deeply. I I do want to say there are many fathers who carry out their God-given role uh, very well. They're servant leaders. They die to themselves daily. They sacrifice themselves for the sake of expressing God's glory and truth with great love for their wives and children. And I am married to one of those men, and I'm very thankful. Um, that's, that's something to commend and celebrate. And so if you know those men, celebrate them and thank God for them. Um, th- this is not all negative, and we're not trying to down fathers. There are many fathers who are doing this so well and are such a beautiful, though imperfect, picture of our Heavenly Father. Um, but because we do learn about who God is in major ways, both explicitly and implicitly, through our fathers, the negative experiences can distort our view of God. Hmm. And even further, because human fathers are designed to carry out their role in ways that communicate God's character, that's exactly why it's so devastating when they abuse their authority and influence for the sake of sin. Yeah. And, and that's why if we've experienced a great deal of abuse or trauma at the hands of our fathers, we may, we may feel a lot of ambivalence, which is a, this mix of seemingly contradictory emotions. You know, there's a push-pull, there's a tension between desire and longing on one hand and disappointment or even hatred on the other. We may be angry for how our dad failed us, but also longing for him to be the dad he was meant to be. Hmm. And this ambivalence can be really confusing. It may even feel like we're not being consistent or we're going crazy or something. But it's perfectly normal, and it reflects something really good. To still long for your father to be a father to you, a father like God commands and models, is a good thing. And you know, in truth, it's... It may be easier to just go numb and pretend like you don't care. I don't think it's really possible over the long run. It's, but it, it is more painful to, to deal with that longing, to face it. Um, but that longing doesn't just go away. It keeps You keep feeling that longing because that's how uh, God designed us. Hmm. You know, it's part of being human to long for a father um, as, 
as God designed fathers to be, and we don't want to deny that part of our humanity. With time, uh, the pain of, of you know, the childhood wounds from our father, if, if we had those, the pain lessens, and we can have good relationships and, and live in joy. Um, but yeah, we don't want to deny the part of ourselves that make us human. Um, but all this can affect how we think about God as our father. We may feel that same ambivalence toward him, too. We may be scared to hope that God is actually the ultimate father, exactly who he says he is, faithful mm. and trustworthy. Uh, we may feel that it's easier to stay a little distant from him, not to claim our position as his children and enjoy the intimacy that he offers. Man, those are all really good points. And I think for those who are wrestling with the ambivalence, I think what, what I want to say is, is that your desires for your father to be the father that God designed him to be is a good desire. And that's the thing, too, you know, as I said yeah. earlier about you know, not putting the cart before the horse. We don't want to just assume that when God asks us to call him Heavenly Father, or commands us to do so, rather, that he's just being arbitrary and just saying, you know, that he's looking at a human relationship and saying, oh, this is convenient, I'll use this uh, to, to reveal myself. That's not at all what's going on. What's actually going on is that God designed men to, to carry out aspects of, of, of his character that we would call fatherhood in a unique way. And so human fathers, the whole, the whole relationship of, of fatherhood was designed by God to reveal aspects of his character in unique ways. And so when a human being desires that, that, that relationship, that's because God designed it that way. And it's a way that God designed for us to actually experience his character in a mm. fleshly, humanly way. And so it's, it's, it's a good desire to want that. And it's a good thing to grieve when that has been horribly marred, when sin and wickedness has actually uh, perverted that relationship so that it, instead of being a, 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 an avenue of blessing and a channeling of, of goodness to a human being, it actually becomes an, an avenue of suffering and oppression and abuse. That is truly wicked. In fact, I would say it's one of the most wicked things that happens on earth. Hmm. Because the, 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 the way that God designed human beings as fatherhood is so integral to channeling blessing and goodness into God's world. And so it's no wonder then that that has become so horribly marred. I would argue that almost every sin that happens in the world can, can, can be tied to a, a breakdown in that relationship. And so as we're honest with ourselves... You know, that this desire is, it's okay to have this desire and it's not going to go away because God put it in us. It's okay to accept that grief and that pain and to not try to just throw it away and, or, or spiritualize it and say things like, well, I'm in Jesus now and none of that matters anymore. You know, yes, to a degree, one, we, we see why Jesus says, unless you, follow, you hate your father and your mother, you cannot follow me. We understand what he's saying with that, that, that he is the ultimate relationship. And so as we become believers, we want to always prioritize our relationship with God. But God isn't going to pit himself against the relationship he himself created. Mm -hmm. um, and so we want to honor and respect, uh, and I would say encourage you to get help and counseling and healing in those areas because that's, that's part of who God made you to be. Yeah, and something that we'll keep talking about next time too is, you know, as, as we've talked about the fact that um, God is the ultimate father and earthly fatherhood is supposed to flow from who he is and mm. what his design is. That's the original design. That's the the perfect, uh, the perfect example. And so these, you know, kind of 
copies, so to speak, that we see on Earth of earthly fathers, even if they're very twisted, um, they they don't change the original. Mm. And so that's something that we'll talk about some more. And 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 talking about how we we don't want to read our earthly father into God. You know, it should be the other way around. Unfortunately, mm. it isn't always. But we we certainly can't take the character of our earthly father and put that on God, make an assumption about God with that, um, mm. because it's it's incorrect and it'll it it you know it's an offense to God and it it keeps us from the intimacy that we could have with Him. Mm. And also, we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, the personal side of this. You know, we. Um, are not talking about this from some high tower. You know, this applies very personally to to me and to you, Jonathan. And yeah. so we're going to talk about our own personal stories just a tad, but really talk about, so what is this, what do you do with this in your own life? If you know that God is your heavenly father and you believe that and you want to believe the scripture and and live it out, well, then, then how do you take this theological aspect of truth that you, are, you know, you will yourself to believe and integrate that with the very personal um, experience of so much woundedness, mm. and maybe even a gut level, like I can't, I can't do this. You know, like aversion to God. Know, yeah, aversion to thinking of God as a father because of the associations there. How do we bring these things together? And so that's what we'll be talking about next time because we're out of time for this week. Um, but that'll be really good, and I'm really looking forward to that. That's that's really yeah, powerful and heavy stuff, and uh, it's very it's very challenging. But there is so much hope, and so that's what we're going to be talking about. And um, so, as always, we do want to remind you that Conversations for Life is a podcast ministry of Cross Life. Cross Life's mission is to equip and empower married couples and parents to cultivate life in the home. And we are a mission supported by people just like you. And you can find out more at www.crosslifetoday.org. Um, so don't forget about the giveaway we're doing for this month. Mm-hmm. Please share any of our episodes from this past year. Or go to your podcast app and rate and review us for a chance to win an audiobook copy of Andrew Case's Christina of Aspen Isle. It'll be great. Um, and so until next time, take care and God bless. God bless.